Jesus. May your spirit fall on this community like a, like a quilted blanket, comforting those who are currently uncomfortable, warming back up the hearts of those whose hearts have grown cold toward you, God. May many salvations occur this morning by way of your gospel, Jesus. May many wounded hearts be healed by way of your love. May many minds be sanctified by way of your truth. This is your church. We are your children. We are calling on your name this morning, Jesus. We cry out to you. May the presence of your spirit create a fire of refinement in our souls so great that we leave this place changed. In the name of Jesus, together we said, amen. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18 as we conclude in our current teaching collection titled Stories. As we've examined now four, today is the fourth of the potent, most potent parables that we've looked at. By no means are these like the highlight reel or bests of Jesus. These are just the ones that we determined we thought this community needed to hear at this stage of our church. And so this morning we're going to conclude in that. This is Luke's tradition, and he presents the parable this way. It'll be on the monitors to my right and left. This is Luke chapter 18, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Let's just take a quick pause and acknowledge how Jesus has thrown us a bone of sorts and told us why he is telling us this parable before he does. He gets ahead of us and says, this is why I'm teaching you this parable. I'm teaching it so that you should always pray and never give up. He starts with the application, which I think is really interesting. Verse two, he said, and this is the parable, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Sounds like a nice guy. Verse three, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Let's pause there too. The fact that Jesus has opted to use widow language in his context would have been very controversial. So Jesus tells the disciples, this is why I'm teaching you this parable. I'm teaching it to you so that you will always pray and not give up which is great application for any listener. But then he uses an example of a widow in a town with a corrupt judge. The very fact that Jesus begins using this example, using the word widow, would have been very controversial and confusing to his listeners. He was doing something radical at the time. He was taking what was the lowest class in society in Jesus' day, and bringing that person up to an even equal playing field. Okay, so I want you to you know, keep this in mind that you know, our context is not Christ's context. So we have to work a bit harder to understand the meaning of the text here. But a widowed female in Jesus' day was more commonly homeless than anything else. At best case scenario, this widowed female would have had depended on the charity of the people around her in a welfare agreement of sorts. That was the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is that she just lived in perpetual homelessness. You see, widowed women in the Greco-Roman era weren't allowed to work. It was against the law. There was a hierarchy and a class system that was unfair and brutal and cruel and ungodly. 
And this widow in this parable is trapped in that environment, trapped in that context. And so this woman would have had depended on the charity of the people around her, and yet she has the courage to go to the corrupt judge in that town and ask for justice against her adversary. Tragically, a female's uh, testimony was never taken seriously in a court of law in Jesus' day. It was wrong. It was backwards. It was upside down. And so Jesus is using this example and saying, hey, listen, we have a widow here who's going to a corrupt judge in their city, in their town, and crying out to that corrupt judge, give me justice. Give me justice. Give me justice against my adversary. Can you imagine with me for a moment, what did this widow lose? What did she lose? Did her husband pass away from a disease and leave her nothing in security to live well? Was her husband murdered and she didn't get any justice? There was no justice for that life being taken. Was there some other unknown, unnamed situation where she had to cry out to the adversary, cry out to the judge against her adversary, crying out, give me justice. And the disciples are hearing this and like, Wait a second. Why would you use a widow as an example for that? There's no way that that judge is going to give her justice. And so I want you to imagine for a second the pain that this widow endured for who knows how long. Not only the loss she experienced in losing her husband or son or whatever her trauma, her pain, her woundedness was, it brought her to a place of crying out, even to a corrupt judge, asking for, for justice. That pain that was, that was in her life was, was going through her, creating a, a spiritual woundedness and a, and a scarring of sorts. And Jesus is inviting the listeners both then and now to step into the world in shoes of this widow and consider something practical and true and simple, which is that you are the widow, and I am the widow, and what you are currently going through, friend, is also going through you. Now keep this in mind for a moment as we unpack this idea. Whatever pain or whatever trauma or whatever woundedness you're currently walking in is not just something you are going through, but like poisoned food, it is going through you as well. And it's causing trauma and pain and woundedness in your life. And it's bringing you to a place of going to anyone and everyone that you could possibly go to, to find mitigation and resolvement for. I don't know what you're going through right now, but you're going through something because you're a human being. You're going through some unknown, unnamed trauma in your life. I don't know about it, but you know about it. God knows about it. And it's causing a pain and a woundedness. And that pain and that woundedness brings us to do things to resolve the pain. But we always don't take our pain to the healthiest of persons or places, do we? We take our pain usually to an addiction. We take our pain usually to some unhealthy coping skill. We project pain 
And that unresolved pain, if it doesn't get resolved, it gets transferred. And so we take our woundedness and we take our pain and we bring it before anything and everyone we can and beg and plea for help. Please, somebody help me. And I've heard the stories in this community. I've heard the stories of the kingdom of God. We are not in heaven yet, are we? And we all feel that deeply. Our lives have not been perfected. Our bodies have not been perfected. You're going through something physical, some physical ailment, some illness, or your child is, or you're looking at imminent bankruptcy, or you're looking at a divorce, or you're waiting for your prodigal son or daughter to finally come home, or whatever that pain is, you have an option to take that pain somewhere. But we have a track record of taking that pain to all the wrong people at all the wrong times and in all the wrong places. What you're going through, it's going through you too. It's creating woundedness. And this morning, I want you to consider that, that you have an option to take this pain somewhere, just like this widow did. You've tried numbing it. It doesn't work. You've tried the substances. You've tried the numbing of the pain, and it has not worked. You've tried bottling it up and telling nobody, and it's caused physical manifestations in your life. You've projected it, you've transferred it, and you don't know what to do. And you're at a place where you're like, I don't know where to take my pain. I don't know where to take my woundedness. You've been there. I know you have. I've been there. Every human comes to a place in their life, a tipping point, a a juncture, where they have to ask themselves, what am I going to do next? Where am I going to take this pain or this trauma, this woundedness that's creating a spiritual scarring in my life? Where am I going to take this? What am I going to do with it? Look at verse 4. For some time he refused, referring to the judge. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Okay, so Jesus now is providing the listeners with the judge's interior monologue, which presents this dramatic irony. The judge's issue is not an external one. His problem is not outside of himself. His problem is inside of him. He's doing the right thing, but for the wrong reasons. He's doing the very right thing for this widow, but doing it for the wrong reasons reasons. So you might think to yourself, well, is, is Jesus uh, comparing God to this, to this judge? I would say no. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said, listen to what the judge says. Now, the tone and tenor of that phrase really needs to be understood. Jesus is not saying to us, you better listen to what that unjust judge says maybe alluding to that this corrupt judge has wisdom or has some like good intent. You better listen to him like a good father or a good mother that has your best interest in mind. You better listen to him. It's not what Jesus' tone and tenor is. Jesus' tone and tenor is, are you, are you listening to him? Can you hear what is coming out of that corrupt judge's mouth? Surely you, you can hear that. Surely you're listening to the words that are pouring out of this corrupt judge's mouth. Verse 7, and will not God 
bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus is not comparing the corrupt judge to God. He's contrasting the corrupt judge with God. He's saying, if an authoritative figure like this corrupt judge who does not fear God, does not respect man, if even he does the right thing for you, although he does it for the wrong reasons, how much more so is that dynamic true for the God that you serve, worship, and acknowledge? Jesus is contrasting this corrupt judge with God. Why is he doing that? He's doing that because of the unique example that Jesus gives in the widow. The audience listening to Jesus is saying like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're saying that God listens to all of his children and hears all of them? And he doesn't relegate the listening and proportion it out to people's class in society. And she's just like, that is, that is a, precisely what I'm saying. You could think of it this way. God doesn't wear hearing aids. He doesn't turn up the volume for the children he wants to listen to and then turn down the volume for those he doesn't want to listen to. Now, my 101-year-old grandmother does. I come run to the room. She's like, oh, gosh, there's Luke. I'm turning him down. But that is not God. God listens to all of his children. He listens to all of his children. Has the evil one told you, brother or sister, that because of your socioeconomic status, that God won't listen to you? Has the enemy told you that because of your family of origin or your education, or your country of birth, that somehow God is going to treat you differently or get to your prayers when he gets to them. They're, they're on my agenda, child. I'll get to them when I get to them. That is not how God works. Put the voice of death to death. Put the voice of death back in hell where it came from. It doesn't matter who you are or where you came from. That is not a prerequisite for God to hear the cries of your hearts. And perhaps you needed to hear for the first time this morning from someone like me that God hears you and that God listens to you. And you don't have to be a somebody for God to listen to you. You can be a widow in the ancient Roman Greco world, the bottom of the social class, and God hears your cries. I don't know what excuse you've been giving yourself recently that God doesn't hear you, but the excuse is not yours, it's the enemy's. He's just convinced you of it. May you know that God in heaven hears your cries and hears your prayers, and you are his child. You are his daughter, you are his son, which means you are valuable and so, so, so important to him. And unlike the heart-corrupted judge 
who only did the right thing out of self-preservation, your God does the right thing for the right reasons all of the time. Make you take, may you take great comfort in knowing that, that your God is, is, is doing the right thing on your behalf and he's doing it for the right reasons, the reason of love, motivated by a deep love for you as a daughter or as a son in his family. And there are those in this room who have been kicking the can down the road, coming up with every excuse possible that God doesn't hear my prayers and cries, so what's the point? Nothing's changed. Nothing will change. I'm a nobody. I came from this family, from this part of town. I don't have the title. I don't have the money. God won't listen to me. Oh, that is the voice of the enemy, friend. Put it to death. Put it to death. Jesus invites you and me to step into the presence of this widow who cried out day and night. It's as if Jesus is saying, you want the Holy Spirit to rush into your world like a wind to a boat sail? I know you do. I know you long for the Holy Spirit to rush like a mighty wind into your life, into your world. It's as if Jesus is saying, if you want God to break through into your world, break the strongholds of your life, and deliver the desires of your heart, stay persistent. Stay persistent. This widow at the bottom of the social class in a Roman Greco world and environment who would have depended on the charity of those around her had the courage to cry out to God day and night and night and day. And Jesus uses this social dynamic to paint a picture for his listeners. This is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a dynamic between a widow in the Roman Greco world who would have been a nobody coming from nothing, crying out to a corrupt hearted judge who did the right thing. Oh, how much more would you know that you can cry out over and over and over and your God hears you and your God listens to you. There is something about the unceasing, persistent prayers of God's people that touch the heart of God. If his part is to listen and our part is to cry out. And again, his part is to respond. And even though the text says quickly, why does it feel like when we do cry out that God doesn't respond quickly? Was he wearing the hearing aids? Did he turn you down? Is he saying, I'll get to you when I get to you? No. I don't think so. I think it's based on a flawed assumption that his quickly is our quickly. Well, let's talk about that for a second because our version of our quickly is like, I just found this out recently, chat GPT, right? Any of you use this open AI thing? It's crazy fast. Or how about a microwave? That's fast, right? We think of speed in terms of immediacy. We think, well, why can't God just be a genie in a bottle? 
Why can't I just make my requests known and then get an email from him or get a whole manuscript written from him like OpenAI gives me? I don't understand. Why does God not go at my speed? Why is God's quickly different than my quickly? I think that God's quickly is something like nine years. I'm going to tell you a story of a single mother named Monica. You see, Monica was a single mom with one child. And Monica, when she had her baby, she would sit in her nursery and rock that baby back and forth and sing hymns to him and place her hand on his forehead, just singing and praying God's blessing and favor over this young boy. And then this young boy grew in his town in North Africa. And at the time, his mother realized this boy of mine has a brilliant imagination and a sharp intellect, something to behold. And so she's looking at her son growing up, and her son's intellect brings him to a place of challenging his mother's faith. And so when he gets to be in his teens and, and young adults, he, he pursues sexual adventures and anything and everything that his body tells him to do and his, and his intellect brings him to a place of, I'm going to challenge and disprove my mother's faith. Can you imagine how that felt to his mom who put her hand on his head every night when he was an infant and prayed favor and power and blessings over him. Can you imagine the pain in her heart? Can you imagine how helpless she may have felt that she really didn't have control over the outcome of this young boy? And so he grew and he grew and he became known as a womanizer in his town. Going out late, coming home drunk, pursuing all kinds of fleshly adventures of every kind. And when he was sober, he would use his intellect, his sharp mind, to work actively at disproving his, his mother's faith. This pained his mother so deeply. And so his mother once had a dream. And his mother, Monica, had this dream where God made it clear to her in the dream I'm going to answer the many years of prayers you have had over your son. I'm going to answer them. So it gave her great confidence and refreshed her enthusiasm to pray for her son actively and quickly and regularly at a whole new level. And then in his 20s, mid and late 20s, he decides, I'm going to sail to Rome. And so her son decides, I'm going to sail to Rome where I can pursue further this disproving of my mother's faith. And all of the debauchery and fleshly desires that my body tells me to do, I'm going to just jump right in. After all, Rome was the epicenter of debauchery and flesh in every fashion and in every way. And so her, his mother decides to double down on these prayers. And can you imagine a mom who has no control over the destination of his of her grown son is doubling down on these, these prayers of protection. and Oh, Lord, please, oh, Lord, please keep my son from sailing to Rome. And it didn't work. And her son sails to Rome and indulges further into debauchery of all kinds and forms and fashions. And then in his study, he finds himself in a quiet garden 
And as he's actively working on disproving his mother's faith, he hears and feels and senses the strongest impression of God's presence in his midst. Instead of opening the Bible to disprove its merit, he opens the Bible and begins to work, read the words of Jesus. And in that moment, completely surrenders his life unto the Lord. This boy's name was St. Augustine, probably one of the most influential theologians of all of church history, who's contributed more to the things of God and the commentary of, of God's word than probably anybody else. But from the time Monica, his mother, began praying for him to not go to Rome, and, and before he actually surrendered his life unto the Lord, it was something like nine years. What's the point of this story? Mom, dad, husband, father, student, young adult, God is not ignoring your cries. He's collecting them. If your prayers are pieces of thread and yarn, God has a way of answering those prayers that looks something like a tapestry of sorts. A large tapestry during the medieval and Renaissance periods would have taken five weavers between five and eight months to create something beautiful. Oh, would you know deep down that God hears your cries and that God hears your prayers and that you don't have to be a somebody from somewhere with some title as a prerequisite for God to hear you. You are his beloved child. He is hearing you. He is listening to you. And he is collecting your prayers. Don't give up. Like Monica never gave up on her son, St. Augustine, you too should never give up. It's just that nine years is a long time to wait. So what do you do while you wait? In conclusion, I want to um, share with you something that uh, is near and dear to, to my heart. It's a story of breakthrough. It's a story of trust and it's a story of waiting. And I want to ask you this question before you hear this story. The question is, are you willing to wait while remaining persistent? As you listen to this story, I want to ask you to ask yourself, are you willing to wait while remaining persistent? If God does hear your prayers, and if God does hear your cries, and he's taking that thread, and he's taking that yarn, and he's weaving it into a tapestry response for you, my question for you is, are you willing to wait while remaining persistent like the widow did to the corrupt judge? It's just that your judge isn't corrupt. <laughs> he's perfect, and he's listening to you. This story is a bit personal because Kristen and Noah Campbell were in my discipleship huddle almost eight years ago now. And for years, we did student ministry together, and their family helped plant this church. She serves in many capacities. And this particular video was actually filmed in the winter of 2020. And I couldn't shake the reality that a good 75% of you or more probably haven't heard Kristen's story. And I did ask them permission first, and they did give me the green light to share it with you this morning. 
But I want you to hear. I want you to hear how you can step into the widow's shoes. You can step into anyone else's shoes and realize that we are all the same. We are waiting on God to respond to the cries of our hearts. We are waiting on God to deliver us the desires of our hearts. My question is, can you wait and be persistent at the same time? Let's watch this video together and respond. Hi, my name is Kristen Campbell, and this is my story. About four years ago, my husband Noah and I decided that we were gonna start praying that whatever the Lord had for us, whether he wanted us to grow our family or just to do ministry between the two of us for the rest of our lives, that we were gonna be open to that. And months and months went on and it just remained the two of us. We'd actually started a discipleship huddle with Luke and we're in it with three other couples. And we were coming alongside them and we were hearing their, their heart yearning to start families and we prayed with them, but I never really had that movement yet in my heart that that was going to be our journey. And I didn't feel that that was the desire yet that the Lord was placed on my heart, but more of like an openness to really just try to be obedient in whatever he had for our lives. So we continued to walk alongside our friends, kept our desires very close knit and had just felt like over time, we could see less and less what the Lord was doing in our lives. I felt like He was increasing my desire every single day to want to, to be a mother, but yet I didn't have a baby to hold and I didn't really know why. So as our months went by and after the first year went by and we didn't have a baby, we started to really kind of turn a bit of our prayer of, okay, Lord, what do we have? So after that first year, we received the exciting news that everybody in our huddle was to be expecting a baby. And while we were so excited for them, we held this pain, this longing close to ourselves. For, for me, I felt like as the carrier, as the vessel to, 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 to birth a miracle, I felt a lot of guilt and I felt a lot of shame. And that guilt and that shame, the devil had used to turn that to the Lord and say, God clearly doesn't know what His plan is for you. He clearly doesn't know what the right thing is for you and your family. And this desire that you think He's placed in your heart, He's really going to use it just to make you pull further away from Him. Like, God, where are you in all of this? I'm, I'm praying for my friends and you've blessed them. And so after that first year of walking through infertility and after walking that second year through infertility, I really had felt like, okay, it, it's time that we probably see a specialist. It's time that we probably bring somebody else into the mix. And up until that point, we really hadn't shared our, our walk with darkness with anybody else apart from the, from the two of us. And infertility is a club that we recognize is much bigger than what we even knew but it's a really lonely club and it's not one that people often raise their hands and say, I'm a part of that as well. And it's something that as we were walking through the journey, month after month after month, disappointment after disappointment, me having to be the bearer of disappointment to know it, it became to where I didn't even feel like I could talk to him about that. Because every time I would see him, the devil reminded me 
of what I couldn't give to him. And I remember Luke specifically like praying. He had now been blessed to be a dad. He had Mila and he specifically like pleading to the Lord to let us be parents. And it felt so nice to hear, but quite honestly, I just remember thinking, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. But please keep praying on my behalf. I'll take all the prayers I can get. But I'm starting to believe that the Lord has just become silent to me. So we continue to walk through year three, continue to go through fertility treatments, continue to, to meet with doctors and meet with specialists just to try to get answers. Still kept our story very close knit, but we're updating our, our few, um, few close friends and family. And one night we, um, we were invited to a Hillsong United concert. They were coming to Indy. Our friends couldn't go. They had tickets. And so they said, you know, why don't you guys go? And if you would ask me right now if I wanted to go to a Hillsong United concert, I would be ecstatic. I would say yes, but I just felt like I had wrestled with the Lord for so long and I knew going there, this was gonna be the ultimate battle. And I think I was the only person probably sitting in a sea of 10,000 people at that concert. I just remember thinking, God, I'm really gonna need you to show up here. If you really are who you say you are, and if you really fulfill all the promises and all the desires that you say that you do, I'm gonna need you to show up in a mighty, mighty way. We're now approaching three years of not having a family, and we're seeing all of our friends being blessed with that. And I really feel like in my heart, you have put this desire in there when I wasn't even sure. Do I wanna be a mom? Can I be a great wife and a great mom? Like, is that even possible? I know I have one in my life, but can I do that for my husband and for my child? I thought, Lord, I really do want to believe that you will fulfill this desire in my heart or you will replace that and give me a spirit of peace and a spirit of content. And maybe it's just gonna be Noah and I and you're gonna do miraculous things through the two of us. And it was right before they played the song, As You Find Me. I think it was Joel Houston, he said, I'm gonna do something that I, I don't do leading into the song for any other concerts, but I just felt like the Lord has placed it on my heart that, that somebody here needs to hear this. He said, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what you're struggling with, the Lord loves you too much to keep you there. And I just felt like that was it. My walls just came tumbling down and I just felt this weight of, of release. And I just felt like for the first time that I could have complete surrender to say, God, I don't know what your plan is. I don't know what your timing is. I don't know how long the waiting has to last. It's already felt really, really long and really, really hard. But I believe that you love me too much to keep me here. And I just felt like my hands raised and just a, a rush of just peace, a rush of just comfort, a rush of just the presence of the Lord coming over me. And I just felt like for the first time I could kind of just relax and rest in his arms, knowing that he's got this. And shortly after that song, we left the concert and we went home and that next morning woke up and I got to deliver the news to Noah that 
we were pregnant. And I share this to say, I don't know what journey you're walking through right now. I don't know what your wilderness season looks like or what the darkness is for you. God hasn't abandoned you. Whatever he's desi- whatever desire he's placed on your heart that you're walking towards, I truly believe he's gonna fulfill that desire or he's gonna replace it. And he's gonna give you a spirit of peace or a spirit of content or a different desire. But I would absolutely encourage you, if you can't be the one to drop to your knees daily, to pray, to surrender, share it with somebody who can pray on your behalf, who can fight on your behalf. Because I look to all those close friends and family members that surrounded us when we were able to actually tell them we were hopefully gonna bring a baby into this world. I got to see the face of Jesus and, and the prayer warriors and the army that he had surrounded us with during our darkest times when I just couldn't do it on my own. And so I, as that concert and as that song blessed me, I wanna just be used as a vessel to bless somebody else. I want to provide you with encouragement that the Lord has not abandoned you. He hasn't deserted you. He wants what's best for you when we can't see it. And he loves you too much to keep you where you are. We're going to try something a little bit different in in closing service today. Would you all just stand to your feet, please, for a moment? And what was true for Kristen at that concert and what was true for Kristen when we filmed that three years ago is still true today for each of you. I don't know what you are going through, but you're going through something. You're waiting on something. And that something is going through you too and it's causing you pain. I want to ask you, where are you taking that pain? Who are you bringing that pain to? And so I just want to encourage you in this moment to take a step of faith and find a way to get uncomfortable before the Lord. So perhaps it's your eyes closed and your head bowed. Perhaps it's your hands open out in front of you. Perhaps that's not uncomfortable enough. Perhaps you need to kneel before the Lord this morning and find an opportunity to get into a posture of full surrender before the Lord. I mean, you've tried it all, haven't you? Like you've taken your waiting period, you've taken your pain to coping skills. That hasn't worked. And you've taken your pain to addiction and to people that don't love you or trust you or you trust them, that hasn't worked. You've tried bottling up, that hasn't worked. And so maybe in this moment, like Kristen did all those years ago, you too, can wave your heart's white flag, so to speak, and surrender. Let me ask you something. Is what you're doing right now working? Is what you're doing working? Is living in a perpetual state of disappointment working for you? Maybe instead you just need to surrender unto the Lord and bring your heart's cry to Him and bring your pain and bring your suffering. So with your head bowed, your eyes closed, your hands up, your knees on the floor, whatever's posture is uncomfortable for you, what does it look like for you to cry out unto the Lord this morning? Because you're going through something. You're waiting on God. 
You're waiting on Him to deliver the desires of your heart. And you're about ready to give up. Oh, church, don't give up. Look at me, brother and sister, don't you give up. Your God hears your cry. Come on, your God hears your cry. Don't you give up on Him. Don't you throw in the towel on your God. You are His daughter. You are His son. What do you think He's going to do, ignore you? No. Find your posture of submission. Oh God, may your spirit be in this room. I know that there is an individual breathing the air of this room that's going through the biggest challenge of their life right now. Their child is ill. They're waiting on a son, a daughter, a prodigal to come back home. They just got the news of a terminal illness. They're facing imminent bankruptcy. I don't know, God, but I know that they're going through something. We're all going through something. I know there are people in this room that are breathing the air of this room that contemplated suicide last week. God, what does it look like for us to cry out to you day and night and night and day and trust that you hear us and wait and remain persistent at the same time? God, break through into our worlds. Show us who you are. If you are under the sound of my voice and you believe that God is worthy of your cry, say amen. Today, God hears you. God loves you. Cry out to him.